to A Path Home. This is the podcast where we demystify the tasks related to after-death care through hearing stories from people who have cared for their own deceased loved ones at home. I'm your host, Sarah Cruz. I'm the director of Heartland Prairie Cemetery, a home funeral guide, death educator, and a member of the National Home Funeral Alliance. I met today's guest, Adrian Parker, at the National Home Funeral Alliance Conference in 2012. We spent a memorable evening exploring the city of Chicago, along with her good friend Rebecca Chenelou. The previous year, Adrienne's mother had died, surrounded by three generations of family members, shortly after her 89th birthday. Adrienne describes how they laid her mother's body out in the parlor of the Victorian home where Adrienne lived at the time, and the memorial service that followed. I'm very grateful that you agreed to join me and to talk about your mother's home funeral. Yeah, well, it's my, it's my pleasure. Thank you for, for asking me to do this. How did you find out about home funeral care? Was that something that you were already aware of before your mother died? Yeah, I was aware of it before she died. I had had various friends, you know, that had taken care of their loved ones after they had died. And I was actually, I was living in the home of a friend whose adult daughter had died not that long ago. It had actually been a couple years before that. And she had died in the same home that I was living in. And she had cared for her at home as she was dying and then kept her body at home. And so I was certainly familiar with that. And I had been a a birth midwife, home birth midwife Mm. for years. And, you know, five of the six of my children were born at home. And so it really just seemed like a natural and obvious progression, you know, when I was faced with my mother's death that I would care for her at home. Was your mother aware that that is something that you were going to do? No, I don't believe we, I ever talked to my mom about that because it had been less than four years, about three and a half years, I think that my mother had been diagnosed with advanced stage Alzheimer's. She was living at home alone, you know, in the house that she'd called home for 40 years where she'd raised her three kids as a single parent. She'd, she'd created this really comfortable home with a beautiful yard and a rose garden. And she was still caring for all of it, managing her own affairs, driving herself around town. And then wham, she's diagnosed with advanced stage Alzheimer's. Wow. And, and so the deficits of old age for her anyway, it just, they just seem to arrive overnight, at least maybe when you're not looking carefully. And I don't think that I was looking carefully. I I guess I just wanted my mama to, to live forever. And I wasn't really looking at the inevitable until it just really smacked me in the face. It's astonishing that she was able to continue all those things, living alone and taking care of everything and driving. And then all of a sudden it's like, wow, right? she's sort of beyond, now she's beyond the capacity to do all that stuff. Right, right. right. And so I didn't even tell her 
that she had Alzheimer's. She, she had been such an independent woman and it really came on so quick that I just made that decision. I, I, I wouldn't have normally thought it would have been a decision um, that I would have made, but talking with my siblings and we just decided just to, cause it was just coming on so quick and it was a struggle emotionally on so many levels. And, and she, you know, had decided to sell her home and move into a retirement home. And, and then that only lasted for a very short period of time. And then she moved out of the retirement home into an apartment and, and then from there into an assisted care. And then in another assisted care, it was all kind of, you know, wham, wham. <laughs> it just yeah. kept hitting us. She was diagnosed with Alzheimer's, I think, right as she was selling her home. And so it was like, well, this is good. You know, we'll get her into this retirement home. But it, it really wasn't assisted. You know, it was just a retirement home where people mm-hmm. could pretty much handle their own affairs. And But she didn't like it there. And so then she just had in her mind she was going to move into this apartment. And she did that on her own. And she got herself moved into this um, apartment and and then she really started going downhill fast, kind of hallucinating. And and then she called me at work one day. She uh, had um, forgotten how to use her legs and she was just stuck. She was just couldn't couldn't move. And so I rushed to her house and she had just forgotten how to she stood up from her chair and fallen down and couldn't remember how to use her legs And so, you know, from there we got her a walker and sometimes she could walk with a walker and sometimes she couldn't. And then we just had to be with her all the time, you know, have someone there with her basically all the time. And then went into assisted care from there. Right. I'm so impressed with the fact that she made the decision to move out of that house that you'd been that she'd been in for what, 40 years? Right. And into a retirement home. Because those decisions are so, so difficult and personal and um yeah, just hard to make. And and yet she did it and, and then figured out she wasn't happy there and then moved to a right. an apartment and well, one of yeah. the things that happened is she she fell and broke her arm, and up up until that point, she had been carrying, you know, driving herself all around and taking care of her garden and her house and everything on her own. But when she broke her arm, that really was a huge setback, which it is for a lot of old people. That's often kind of the beginning of their demise, right? Is when they they'll fall and break a hip or break an arm or right. something. So she couldn't drive obviously with a broken arm. And then by the time her arm was healed, she was afraid to drive and she couldn't really take care of her home and her yard when she had a broken arm. And that's when she started thinking, Oh, I'm just too old to do this. I I need to just move into retirement home and I can't take care of my home anymore. And so that was really what, um, you know, led her to that decision. Right. Sounds like a very practical thinker. What did she do in her life other than being a single mom and raising three children? Well, she worked at the university. Chico's a university town. And she was the office manager for the vice president of Chico State. But um, yeah, she did that. And then she retired from there and helped my brother in his business. And she stayed, you know, really 
active. I mean, she was really a homebody, but she was also always active in whatever she was interested in doing at the time. And a big piece of that for many years was helping my brother doing his books and kind of keeping his business together. And then she was, she was just home in her yard all the time. You know, she, she loved her yard. She was a gardener and that was, yeah. She died inside the care facility. No, she, she died at home. So, so on New Year's Eve, it, 2011. So she, that was her birthday. She shared her birthday with my little sister, December 31st. And so we celebrated her 89th birthday um, on New Year's Eve, 2011. And then in February, she stopped eating and she was um, drinking only minimal water. And we got her on hospice. And that's when we moved her from her assisted care home into my home. And my brother and my sister came with their partners and my husband was there um, along with her grandchildren and her great grandchildren. And two of my girlfriends came from out of town to help. And then of course, Rebecca, who, you know, was, was around and a few friends came to say their last goodbyes. She, she went pretty quickly once, you know, it was her time and we just, we had her at home. We had her set up um, in a bed in the parlor. And we read her favorite verses from the Bible. And her great-grandchildren crawled into bed with her and curled up around her and sang to her. And How lovely is that? It was just very, very sweet. It was a very sweet time. Friends said, you know, would stop by and bring flowers and food and wash some dishes and run errands for us. And we just did a lot of laughing and crying and just loving her up. I'm really big time in her last few days with us. Yeah. We really had the opportunity to, to all say, say our goodbyes. And, you know, and then we told her that she could go. What an opportunity. I mean, that's really rare that families get that much time and togetherness. It it was. It was really, really special. I feel so grateful for the way that that that, that worked out. You know, it was really lovely. I mean, she had, you know, everyone around her holding, you know, at her you know, on each side, at her head, you know, at her feet, you know, sitting on the bed with her, holding her hands. And it was it was very, she was very, very peaceful also in, until the very end. Um, she did struggle a bit with her, her final letting go. And, and so those, those last few minutes were pretty difficult to witness. Mm-hmm. Um, it had been so peaceful, but you know, I wouldn't have had it any other way. She, she died surrounded by her loved ones. And it was, it was a very special, special time for, for all of us. And it's impossible to know what was happening in her, in her mind and in her heart during those last few moments, you know, of letting go. Mm -hmm. Right. We can't know, you know, she, she was struck, she was struggling physically. You could see that she was struggling for breath. And I think that that was the, the scariest part, just, wondering, imagining what that experience was like. Um, It didn't last long, of course. It it really was, I called it minutes. It was probably 
more like moments, you know, but, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. but yeah, it's, it's, you don't really know what's going on for someone, but there was certainly, you know, a lot of love in the room and a, a lot of letting go. So just to sort of put us in the, the space, what time of day was it? And what transpired after she died? It was in the evening when, when she died. And then my husband and my brother left and went to get some dry ice. And then all of all of her daughters and granddaughters and great-granddaughters, we stayed and bathed her body. And we added essential oils and rose petals to her bath water. And I had this big bowl that my son had brought by. He's a potter, one of my sons, and he had made this big bowl. And we, we used that for her bath water. Mm. And we washed her body and we washed her hair and we dressed her and changed the bed clothes. And then we, we covered her in her in some special blankets that she had. And so that was, you know, it was just very calm and very peaceful. And it was really lovely, you know, all, all of the women in the family. My, my mother was very modest and she wouldn't have wanted any men in the room, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, her body was, was bathed. Um, mm-hmm. But um, then after we were done with that, we just, you know, had her in the bed there with her special blankets around her and she stayed there in the parlor for the next three days. And one of the really sweet things was my grandchildren were there with us every step of the way. They were, they were making art. They were writing poems. One really fond memory that I have was of my 10 year old grandson. So they were, they were set up in the dining room and she was laid out in the parlor, but he went running through the house to go out the front door. And he ran through the parlor where she was lying. And I was, I was, uh, I forget where I was. I was standing in the hallway. I think I had, you know, come out of the bathroom or my bedroom and I watched him run through the room that she was in and he ran past her. And then he kind of backed up and, bent over and gave her a kiss and then ran out the front door. He was going to pick mandarins. We had a mandarin tree in, in the front yard. And so then he went out and he picked an armload of mandarins. And then he returned with his arms full of fruit, bent over, gave her another kiss, and then continued on back into the dining room to mm-hmm. get back to his creative project. And it was, it was just, you know, so sweet, you know, watching that. Right, him just taking the moment. Yeah, yeah. running past her and then backing up and giving her a kiss and running out and back another kiss and on his way. Very sweet. Yeah. For the grandkids, your grandkids, ranging in age from what to what? The kids that were there, the grandkids were with her when she died, were probably eight to maybe, maybe my eldest granddaughter was 14. I think mm-hmm. at the time, and then, and then all of, and, oh, and then my, and then my kids, and so my son was my youngest son, wh- who was with her when she died. I think he was about twenty three, and then on up. <laughs> yeah, I just think it's so vital that 
children are included in this. And it sounds, you know, those kids were there throughout the whole dying process. They were able to uh, spend time with her and, like you said, sing songs, be in the bed with her, and then just continue on with their creativity around the process throughout. Oh, it was, it was just really incredible because, you know, in the days after, you know, she died, I mean, you know, we were just there with her, with her too, you know, continuing, you know, just sitting with her and arranging her hair and holding her hand and talking to her and, you know, reading and, and that just continued, you know, with her kids and, and with the grandkids and we, um, my husband um, and a friend went and picked up um, a cardboard casket from the funeral home. And we we put the, the casket on the dining room table and a friend painted it. And then I went to the fabric store with my youngest daughter and she purchased some fabric to line the casket. And then one friend brought a big box of magazines over to make collages and to decorate the, the casket with. And the grandkids literally for those three days from morning to night, they were in there writing poems and decorating um, the casket. It was, it was just incredible. At one point we, we walked downtown and went to a art supply store down there and bought all these different su- supplies, you know, to bring them back to, to decorate more. And, it was it was really really pretty incredible that that time spending that time together it sounds absolutely wondrous yeah it was so sweet you know and 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 everyone wasn't there the whole time except for the grandkids were there like i said from morning till night doing that but then other family members would you know be coming in and out and doing a little decorating or writing a little poem and and it was yeah it was it was really really sweet. Really How fun. nice! Now I have noticed that you've been using the word parlor, which uh, <laughs> we kind of think of as a very old fashioned word, right. and that right. houses don't really have parlors <laughs> anymore. So, can you describe your house? Well, as I mentioned, at the time we were living in one of my my friend's houses, and it's actually right in downtown Chico, and it's an old Victorian. I see. So it really has the parlor, which is kind of like a a sitting room, but not the full living room. Is that correct? Or or is it essentially the living room? Well, I guess, you know, in my modern day life, the living room was always the, the room off of the, the front door where the family didn't really live in, but it's where you received guests. And if you had company over, you know, the the guests would come into the living room. And then the family room was where the TV was and where the family would hang out. If if you happen to grow up in a house with a family room and a living room. And so this, I guess I would have called the parlor, which I called it was more the living room. It was for the old Victorian, there was a kind of a a mud room in in the front of the house, the very first little room you walked into where you'd hang your coats and leave your shoes and whatever. And then there was a door into the parlor, which had a beautiful bay window that looked out onto the, the garden. And in that room, that's where we had mother's piano she'd given to us the piano years years before and that's where the there was a couch and a piano and the bay window 
And so it was a pretty um, open, open room, nice room, Mm -hmm. you know, just to, to hang out in and make make music. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds lovely. Yeah. It was, it was, it was really, really sweet. And um, yeah. Yeah. So we had her there in the parlor for three days and that was actually on February 14th, Valentine's day is when my cousin arrived and that's when we were going to move her from her bed into the cardboard casket that we'd been making ready for her. And then we covered her with roses and the grandkids and everyone, you know, some of us brought other little personal objects to accompany her on her journey to be cremated. And then we, um, the folks from the funeral home, they came and transported her body there for a Valentine's Day memorial service. Hmm. So did you at any point uh, just invite other people, friends of hers and yours to come over and have sort of a, a gathering inside the home? Or was that all family? That was all family. You know, she was 89. So there weren't Um, a whole lot of close friends of hers that were left, although there were a few and they did come before she died and real close family friends that were more, you know, friends of mine, you know, rather than friends of my mom. But we waited to open it up at the funeral home when we actually had the memorial. And that's when it was open to, you know, anyone who wanted to come at that time. Nice. It's a great description of a blended funeral. You know, I think a lot of times when people are considering this, they think, oh, it's it's sort of like all or nothing. It's one or the other. And it's so important to know that we can absolutely collaborate with funeral professionals and um, with churches and however it is that we need to design our particular. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, my mother was pretty traditional. And so one of the questions you asked me, and I, I don't know that I ever answered it, was was if I had talked to my mom about, <laughs> you know, having a home funeral and all that. And and my answer was no. And and I and I think, well, the way I decided to think about it was that she was dead. <laughs> and even though I did try to honor certain things like her modesty in the in the bathing of her body and various things. You know, the the saying goodbye was really, you know, for those of us that were left. Right. But it was interesting because my mother had purchased a full-on funeral package um, before she died. And it was fully, fully paid for. Yes, of course, because she took care of everything. She took She was that practical thinker. Right, she was. So it was very easy um, to do that, you know, combined celebration and and memorial being at home because it was all paid for (laughs) and we weren't going to get a refund, (laughs) you know, on what we had paid for. So them coming and picking up her body, you know, was just part of the package. And then, you know, using their services and having, you know, their, where we had the memorial, you know, that was all paid for. So, and her cremation itself. So that was all covered. So of course they worked with us because they did, they did very little, you know, compared to what she had paid for really. Um, 
but you know, and that's were, also nice because then they do the paperwork there they file yeah, the death certificate right that kind of thing right is which is exactly what i'm going to say was going to going to say because oh. that is so handy really just to have someone else do that rather than trying to navigate all that on your own so um absolutely yeah so that yeah. That was really nice. And the memorial there, it was very lovely. And my eldest daughter made a really lovely slideshow with pictures and music. And and Rebecca, who you know is is an interfaith minister, she officiated the service. Nice. And, and my mother um, was a Christian, and I really wanted that service to reflect um, and honor her her relationship with, with her God. And so it it did really reflect that, and it was it was perfect, and and really so many family came, so many friends came, even though there weren't many people left that were actually friends with my mom because of her age. There was a couple there that had been her friends since kindergarten. Oh my gosh! And it was just it was so sweet. It was just really lovely. Her doctor, which was my doctor from the time I was just a little girl, came and my brother gave the eulogy and I spoke and some of her kids spoke and her grandchildren. And it was, it was really lovely. And after her service, we, we just wheeled her body to the crematorium and my grandson cranked it up to the, to the level of the chamber. And we all just gave it a push inside and I pushed the button that started the fire to uh to burn her body. And then we went home and shared food and connection and it was uh it was very sweet. And yeah, as I mentioned before, I I had always acknowledged death as a natural part of life. But you know, nothing really came close to my understanding that um it was a very direct experience, a very visceral understanding when my mother died in my home, you know, in the arms of her family that really brought that home, that this is just death is a natural part of life. Yeah, that's really beautiful. And I love that you got to share the love that you all held for her on Valentine's Day. It was very special, very special Valentine's Day for sure. One of my sons spoke during her service and he talked about how she gave and gave and gave. And I experienced one of the greatest gifts that she gave to me was how she died. It was really my mom's death that inspired me to um, get into this field and to help educate others in in the process of being with their loved ones while they're dying and helping to walk them through the death process and many you know many people just don't understand the blessing of being able to care for your loved one at home and have them die at home and then continuing the care of their body and laying them in honor after they they die and so I really do see that as a huge gift from my mother Um, and not only to me and my siblings and to my children and my grandchildren, that, that is a gift that they'll carry throughout their lives 
because they were an integral part, not only of her living, but, but as her dying and, and not only as witnesses, but, you know, they were there on such a personal level. They were powerful participants in, in the process of, of her dying, of caring for their, their dead. Yeah. It's so extraordinary, really, that these young people are, are growing up with a very deep, innate sense of this is how we do it. This is how we care for the dead. Right. And you know, my, my brother and my sister, I mean, they were, they were very giving. They both lived out of town and they came, you know, to be a part of my mother's life, but they lived out of town. So it was really me and, and my children and my grandchildren that were, you know, with her as she was in assisted care. And then as she was home, well, my, my family came once she was moved into my home, they were were there, but you know, we were there, the ones that were there with her on a daily basis in, in her last years. And so my brother and my sister are really pretty straight. I mean, they're open-minded, but they're pretty straight and traditional also. And so I really hope that they would, (laughs) you know, give me full reign to do what I wanted to do. And, yeah. and they did. They just they, did. they they let it be. But it was funny because after she died, and after the whole home funeral and everything, and after her body was cremated, both of them came to me separately and said, basically, they just said, "Adrian, <laughs> you know, I didn't know what to think about this, <laughs> and <laughs> some of this stuff just." I just thought, oh my gosh, this is pretty weird. <laughs> but in the end, they both just said, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. This is exactly what we needed to love our mama and, and say goodbye to her. And it couldn't have been more perfect. That is so great. I was going to ask you how other family members responded because sometimes it just feels a little too like, right. I think it's because it's unfamiliar. It's an unfamiliar practice. Exactly. I mean, death is just, in, in our culture, it's, you know, we're shrouded from it. We just, you know, put this big old blanket around it. Not that there's anything wrong, once again, to have a funeral home, you know, provide that service for you. But a huge piece of that is just taking it out of the hands of the family and people don't think about it. They don't even know something else is an option. Right. And, and that's, they don't know. They're just so unfamiliar with it. So, you know, for me, it's interesting. And I don't know if this is a piece of it or not, but yeah, I mentioned already that I was a home birth midwife. And so it just seems to me that, it, it's the same energy. It's it's like birth is a an entering um, into this world, and death is a is an exiting, but it's through the same door. And I wanted to be a home birth midwife. I wanted to birth my own babies at home because that's where it seemed like was a natural place to be at home with your loved ones in a place of comfort, and mm-hmm. and so just like birth, that felt like the natural thing for birth. It felt like the natural thing for death. I really want to thank you for, for sharing this story. It's so refreshing to hear, you know, just the ease with which you were able to pull this off and with the 
family all being involved and you just created a very pleasant send-off. It sounded absolutely lovely. It was. It was quite the pleasant send-off. It was it was very, very lovely. It was um I feel blessed to have experienced that. And it was really lovely sharing it with you. So I'm glad that you were interested in in hearing the story. A Path Home is a production of the National Home Funeral Alliance, a nonprofit organization dedicated to educating and advocating for communities and families who choose to care for their own loved ones at death. Check out our website at homefuneralalliance.org. If you like this podcast, be sure to tell a friend and subscribe and review wherever you get your podcasts. If you would like to share your home funeral or natural burial experience on the podcast, please email me at podcast at homefuneralalliance.org. We'd love to hear from you. The music at the beginning and end of A Path Home is written and performed by Sarah Cruz. Our beautiful cover art is by Linda Carre. And until next time, remember the words of Ram Das: We are all walking each other home. I want to be there to walk you home. I'll tend to your body, you'll tend to my soul. And if it happens,